You are listening to Zeal Fear House. I am your host, David Murray, and I'm joined with Dorothy Carruthers. Her focus here is on our relationship with our Heavenly Dad and all aspects of His kingdom, moving in greater intimacy with Him. Additional teachings, books, and articles may be found on my website at www.dwmurray.com. That's dwmurry.com. Again, thanks for joining us, and let's get rolling with this week's broadcast. Well, good evening. Thank you for joining us again. I'm David Murray. Yeah, this is uh, Zeal for Your House on Blog Talk Radio with Dorothy Carruthers. Dorothy, how are you tonight? I am well this evening. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Dorothy. I um I'm I'm excited to uh to finally get into some things that really have been on my heart for a while and it goes along um the lines of what some of the things the Lord has shared with me that he wants to do in this coming season, which is um a return to some sound doctrine, to biblical teaching and to um to train and instruct the body of Christ in in, in the ways of righteousness. So uh, for those of you that may be tuning in for the first time or, or haven't had a, a chance to listen um, to some of my teachings or, or visit the blog uh, too, too much, give you a little bit of background. One of the things that, that, that uh, my place is in the body of Christ is to teach what it truly means, what the cross truly gave us. Um, when we say we're the righteousness of Christ, um, according to 2 Corinthians 5.21, when we say that we're holy and blameless according to Colossians 1.21, what does that mean? And are we actually applying it to our thinking? See, our spirits are born again, but our souls are in the process of being renewed as we yield to the word of God. So we need to yield to the word of God in order for us to actually walk by the power of the kingdom and walk in the authority that's been given to us. And that's, uh, that's one of the reasons why the body of Christ struggles so much in this generation, and it has really in every generation where it's not applied, to the degree that we do not apply the word of God to our walk, to change our souls so that we walk in submission to our spirit man, which is who we truly are. The scriptures say we died to the old man and that we are a new creature. Um, Romans 6.11, Romans 6.6, 6, talk about being crucified. We were crucified. So what was, what was crucified? Well, the old man was. We are a new creature. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says we've become, all things have become new in Christ. We've been given the new mind of Christ. Well, so what we're studying, we're going to begin studying on, and really this is probably going to be just part one. We're going to move through this fairly swiftly because we have the benefit of this being taped and recorded. And, I, and what I am endeavoring to do is shorten the broadcast um, to under 45 minutes. I'm going to try to get them to a half hour attempt to do them more frequently, but more importantly, to get concentrated information so that you can listen to it a couple of times if it, if it draws upon your spirit and you're listening to a shorter concentration of information as opposed to having to commit to larger periods of time. So we're going to move fairly quickly. Um, feel free for those of you that, that are listening live to, you know, to go back to it and those of you that, that need to go back a couple of times when we get into the word, um, it, it's repetition. It's, 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 taking it, take your time with it, digest these things. This is, you know, one sense it's the milk of the word because it is the basics of our Christianity, but in other sense it's, it's, um, it's the meat of the word in that if we apply it, it propels us into deeper and deeper realms of the kingdom, um, which is what uh, Hebrews 5.12 commands us to do, that, that those that, that are elders, those of us that have, that have allowed ourselves to be trained in the ways of righteousness are meant to teach the next generation, and we all are meant to do that. We are all meant to mature into elders. Elders is not a gift. Like, there's no special anointing of eldership. That's unbiblical. So if you've heard that, just toss it out. You won't find any scriptures taken in context uh, to support that. And that's what we're going to be talking about the next couple of months is how to study the Word of God so that you're not so the body of Christ is not being swayed by every wind of doctrine that the Bible talks about in the end times will happen. There are a body of believers that are in the body of Christ that the end times, the scriptures, the prophetic end times talk about that will be grounded, that will be rooted and established and mature. 
Right? We don't have to fall away. We don't have to be blown away by every wind of doctrine just because the Bible says the end times that many will. You don't have to be one of those many. We don't have to be. And the way we do that is by being taught systematically how to study the word, how to apply it. So I'm super excited to do this. Um, um, I've been wanting to do this for a long time. And uh, we're at the point now we've laid enough foundation in our identity where we could do that. And please, if you haven't visited my website, uh, I think it would be a blessing um, to you. It discusses, a lot of this stuff is discussed, is taking our identity and applying it to every interaction, every person, uh, really dismantling the pain and the fear of rejection, the roots, the lies, the pride. All that comes by not applying our identity. Moving on, how do we study the Word of God? Tonight we're going to be talking about basically two components of how to study the Word of God. This is the foundation. What is the purpose of studying it, and how do we approach it? Okay, um, so let's start. What is the purpose? Um, there are lots of different motives why people can study the Word of God. Um, there are biblical approaches, and, and well, let's stop even right there. When we say this biblical, what does that mean? The, the Bible the main purpose of study, if our studying the Word of God is not increasing the depth of our intimacy, something is wrong. Study is not meant to increase knowledge as the end game. The, the increase of knowledge and understanding is meant so that the Word becomes a mirror, so that the living Word inside of us is reflecting back to us the nature of God so that we can make adjustments where we need to make adjustments so that we can walk in our Father's heart, mind, and will and desire. Earth ministry of Jesus showed us as a man who emptied himself of all deity, so he was all God but all man at the same time, meaning he was God, but he emptied himself of the Godhead to take on the form of a man to live equipped by the Holy Spirit the same way that we are equipped now in the New Covenant. And Jesus said he does what he sees the Father doing. He thought saw and was one with the Father's heart. And so if we're studying the Word of God, our end game is to be to increase our intimacy. The way that comes, simply put, the Word is meant to correct and align our belief system to conform to God's belief system. Because what God says is truth. Studying the Word allows us the opportunity to freely choose, to not be ignorant of God's nature and of his word. It removes the barriers of our soul. Our soul is, identi is, is um, identified as our mind, will, and emotions. That's our soul. It removes, studying the word gives us the opportunity to remove the barriers of our thinking, of our emotions and our feelings that would reject the spirit-to-spirit -spirit communion that takes place inside of us with his kingdom. We're spirit beings. Our soul, I've said this before, I've, done, I've talked about this and I've written about this. Our soul is the gatekeeper. Our soul either receives the things of the kingdom that are flowing out of our spirit man or it rejects it. And so if we see any areas in which we are struggling where we're not seeing the walk reflected that Jesus had, it says an area of our soul that is rejecting a kingdom principle, a kingdom truth, um, and, and we need to make adjustments. And some people, you know, say, well, that's work. Yes, it's work. Everything is work. Everything is work, and everything produces a fruit of that harvest. Um, and it's meant to be fun. It's a lot of fun when we dig into the Word. Uh, James one twenty two says, Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, and training in righteousness. You guys have tuned in. You'll, you know, I always go back to righteousness because that's the foundation of our relationship with God. It's the foundation of what the cross gave us. We're going to get into that. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. What equips us for every good work? Work, another way of work that, that in the Greek word there is action, movement. It's not works of self-righteousness. It is an expression of the kingdom. The good work is an expression of the nature of our Father. Jesus went around doing good works. He taught, he healed, he proclaimed 
the good news, right? The word gospel, the gospel means the good news. The good news is we've been reconciled, and we're going to get into this. The written word, guys, is a platform for which if we accurately accept what it's saying, it will be a roadmap to great intimacy. Communion itself comes by the Holy Spirit. The word is the platform which is meant to train, correct, and instruct our belief system. It also provides the bumper guards because the word, it's the living word. It's God's nature. It is God put down in writing. It's not just writing. It is, it is God in written form. So it is a safety net. It is, a, it is our bumper guard. It is a safe platform from which as we apply it, it allows our soul to transform from the lies and the hurts and the, the garbage we've been taught and seen and understood to be truth because this, you know, God, Satan is the God of this world, but we have overcome the world because we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And as we apply the word of God, we transform our soul, our thinking to conform to God's kingdom, God's thinking. And that's how we begin interacting with the kingdom. Any area where we feel we are not interacting the kingdom the way we want to, it's, we could always trace it back to our thinking. Always, 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 always. Luke 24, 49, I am going to send you what my Father has promised. This is Jesus speaking. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. The, the power on on high that clothed us and abides within us is the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that has equipped us the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit that gives us the power to be witnesses and to proclaim the good news of reconciliation. So how do we approach this? How, so, so what's the purpose? We've got to know what the purpose of the Bible is. It's to be a roadmap. It points us to understanding the nature of our Heavenly Father. How do we approach it? We're going to talk about two key components, two foundational, vital components Understanding what number one is understanding what the Bible is. Number two is understanding the covenants, the history of man. God initiated covenants with man. And as we understand that, we will, you know, a lot of the confusion, a lot of the basic principles of teaching that we have drifted from and stopped being taught um, will suddenly click and make, make sense. Our walk is not meant to be difficult, our walk is not difficult when we're walking by his word in truth and understanding properly discipled. And, and so we're going to get into that. So number one, how do we approach the Bible? Understanding what the Bible is, understanding the covenants. So number one, understanding what the Bible is. Guys, it's a love story. The Bible is a story of the creator who is redeeming his creation and restoring them. Increased understanding leads to increased intimacy. The greater we understand what the Bible is, the greater is the depth of our intimacy. Because, again, the Bible is a platform which allows us to engage the kingdom. The scriptures say we worship in spirit and in truth. In whatever area we are not worshiping him, communing with him, interacting with him in truth, compromises our ability to interact in the kingdom. That's why the word is so important. It's a mirror. It lets us know where we're out of alignment. So as we understand, if we look at the Bible and we see that it's a love story of our Redeemer redeeming his creation and restoring us to what we first originally were called to, which is intimacy, it will lead to greater, it will lead to experiencing that greater intimacy for ourselves. In all things, God, wherever we read the word of God, we must first and foremost read it in light of the written word of God. The written word of God from Genesis to Revelation is a love story of redemption. The only reason why the Bible came into existence is because of the fall of Adam and Eve. And God, from the fall, from that moment, the first covenant he cut with Adam and Eve began to foreshadow the redemption, the redeeming of his children back to himself. Guys, we must begin to accept that. If we see it any other way, we have to step back and 
go back to, to square one and to objectively look at what the Bible is from Genesis to Revelation. And um, we're going to talk more about that. It's a love story, guys. The Bible must be understood in the context of what it is. God is love. He's holy. He's perfect. He's pure. And because he's love, he had to figure out a way to get us to be holy, perfect, and pure. There, those two things are not opposed. We have usually two camps. It's the sloppy agape camp or the fire and brimstone camp. And, and we have to learn to understand he is both. He is both the lion and the lamb. But all things come back to his nature, which is love. His written word is a reflection of his spirit nature, his spirit being, which is love. The Bible will never violate his nature. The Bible is a love story about the redemption of his creation. So that's number one, understanding what the Bible is. Understand the context of the Bible. Everything must be seen in that light, guys. The second is understanding the covenant. Once we understand the Bible is a, is a story of, of, of a great redemption, the, the, the great redemption of our creators bringing us back to himself, then we can look at the Bible for what it is. It's a series of progressive covenants, all building to the greatest covenant that can be made and the fullness of the Father's heart, which is restored intimacy. So if you want to step back and say, well, what is the Bible? It's a love story, and from Genesis to Revelation, it outlines different covenants that were all progressive, progressively moving toward the cross. So what is a covenant? A covenant, a definition, one definition, pretty basic one, is an agreement between two people. It generally involves promises on the part of each other. Not always, though. There are conditional and unconditional covenants. We'll get into that another time. Basically, a covenant is an agreement between two people. Every covenant that we're going to be talking about here is initiated by our Heavenly Father. This is God initiating an agreement, initiating a promise. The purpose of every covenant that we're going to talk about that's outlined, that we're going to start in Genesis and go to Revelation, the purpose of the covenant is to further advance the heart of God, which is to redeem his creation. We must understand that. What is the purpose of God's initiated covenants throughout the history of man? Everything, again, must be viewed in light of this truth, that the Bible is a love story of redemption and two, the Bible is explaining and expounding progressive covenants or agreements or promises that our creator made, all of them driving all of time forward to the great culmination of the cross. Right, guys? It's starting to sound simple. When we step back and look at that, it should begin quickening our spirit. All right, so... There are seven major covenants that, that, you know, really any, I don't like to use the word Bible scholars, but I will for the sake of context, that, that Christianity will agree upon. Basically seven. Sometimes they're narrowed down for the purpose of study. Uh, there's more. Um, there's a couple more. Uh, but we're going to go over the seven major covenants that are shown progressive throughout the Bible from Genesis straight through into the cross the redemption, and through really revelation. They are the Adamic covenant, the Noahic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Palestinian covenant, the Davidic covenant, and then number seven, the new covenant. The reason why this is important, guys, is because we usually look at the Bible in terms of the Old Testament, the New Testament. And if we're going to understand who we are, how we got here, and what the cross has done to us, and what does it actually mean to be a child of God, we have to start from the beginning. We start from the foundation. The Bible is a story of redemption. It's a story of promises, progressive revelations, progressive promises. Remember we said the Bible is progressive revelation. It is driving forward in time. God, who exists outside of time, entered into time, wrote the word, expounded on his nature through the written word, progressive revelation of his nature. It's progressive revelation of the great love story, of the great redemption. 
And each covenant furthers that. So the, number one, the Adamic covenant. Uh, I'll say these real quick. Genesis one twenty six and 2.16. It has the commands not to eat from the tree of knowledge and good and evil, um, curses for sin. It was the first covenant given to man, and within it is the provision for the redemption of man. Okay? In every covenant, we will see the great covenant, the new covenant. We will see the cross in it. Why? Because every covenant, every promise initiated by God is progressive. It's a snowball running downhill till it finally hits bottom and explodes within us, explodes with the final culmination of everything. Why are you snow? Because we're washed as white as snow. So that always comes to mind with me. The first one, the Adamic covenant, has in it what we call, again, for the purpose of this, I'll get into some terms. You'll sometimes hear people call it type and shadow. It really just means a foreshadowing, right? It's an image, it's a picture of something to come. Um, some, some scholars, some, some Christian circles, some studies will call it a type and a shadow. It means a type of Christ. It's a foreshadowing of Christ. They call it types and shadows. Um, it just means foreshadowing. The Adamic covenant gave a promise to man with uh, conditions to it. There is a small portion of it, of the new covenant, Genesis 3.15, foreshadows in it, again, the redemption of mankind offered at the cross. That's the first covenant given to man. The second covenant given to man, between God and Noah following the flood, it was given to Noah and his family. Genesis 9.11, I will establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall it be destroyed by flood upon the earth. In the covenant included a rainbow, God's sign of faithfulness. That is his, that is his symbol of the covenant. And that's the Noahic covenant, the covenant given post-flood to Noah and his family and his descendants. Can it's driving us forward. How's it, okay, how's it driving us forward? Because it, it was a fresh start. It was a cleansing. Um, Noah's family was the last family um, there had to come a final judgment to sin at the time of the days of Noah because if it wasn't left, eventually the bloodline, the godly bloodline of Noah would eventually cease. And Jesus had to come through man's bloodline. And uh, it was mercy. The flood is mercy, guys, not wrath. It is mercy and judgment. We need to begin to, to open up and see God's judgment, pruning, discipline, correction, reproof, rebuke as love. Just like the word says, that oh, no father who corrects his son hates him, but a father who does not discipline his son hates his son. Right? Within the Noahic covenant are promises. They're foreshadows. Jesus mentioned the Noahic covenant. We said, so as we're in the days of Noah. Jesus is speaking of an old covenant, talking about a future covenant. The third covenant, the Abrahamic covenant. This is an unconditional covenant, first given to Abraham in Genesis 12.1. God promises to bless Abraham to make his name and his offspring a great nation. The covenant also promised to bless all those that um, would bless Abraham. It also in it, is promised unconditionally that the entire world will be blessed through Abraham. Um, that's very important. Uh, the, the sign of that covenant was circumcision, Romans 4.11. Again, within the Abrahamic covenant is the, sh- the, the, the foreshadowing or the type and shadow or in um, a small hidden illustration, a promise of the greatest covenant the new covenant, because in the Abrahamic covenant, the Lord says, Abraham, through you, all the earth will be blessed. Well, how they be blessed? They're blessed through Christ. They're blessed through the cross. So within the third covenant, the Abrahamic covenant is also the foreshadowing of the greater covenant. The fulfillment of this covenant came in three parts, guys. One was wealth to Abraham. Second, the nation of Israel would be formed. And a third, the entire world would be blessed through the atonement offered through Jesus Christ. Jesus came through Abraham's line. That's how, again, the covenant's all progressive, all driving toward the great redemption, the great reconciliation. 
So here again, we see one covenant receiving its fulfillment within the later and the greatest covenant, the new covenant, right? We're starting to see a theme now. We're starting to look and step back a little bit and see the Bible as one. It's a story. It's a love story. It's a diary written by our Redeemer. And it's a story of covenants or promises given to man throughout history of the promise all of them coming, culminating with the greatest promise, we're going to be redeemed back to him. He will once again live inside of us. That's intimacy. Okay? Number four, the Mosaic Covenant. Now, this is the one typically the only covenant we ever go back to is the Mosaic Covenant. Guys, this is one of seven major covenants. It is not the only one. They had the patriarchs and the godly men that lived under the covenants way before the Mosaic Covenant. It is a conditional covenant found in Deuteronomy 11. Promises the Israelites blessings for obediences and curses or consequences for disobedience, where they would fall out of the Lord's protection, which would permit or allow. If you go into the Old Testament, guys, when it says that the Lord will put these curses on you, it's a horrible translation. If you go into the Hebrew, and I won't get into too much detail down the road in the weeks to come, we will. The Hebrew word for this is to permit. It is not put. God doesn't put sin and sickness on us. He will permit it. Well, why does he permit it? Because when we come out of his protection, we come under the legal ground of Satan, who is God of this world. The only thing that protected man before the shed blood of the cross was coming under the different covenants that God had given to man. Make sure you look at Job in a little different light. We're not going to get into that um, right now. But it wasn't God putting them on. It was the consequences of disobedience because they would come out under the protection offered through the Mosaic Covenant. Okay, number five, the Palestinian Covenant. Again, another unconditional covenant. I love this one, guys. Never really talked about very much. Found in Deuteronomy 31 through 10. Within the Mosaic Covenant is another covenant. The promise of the Palestinian covenant. What is it? It is the promise that even after the nation of Israel, God's children, are scattered all over the world, that even though they did that, God himself will sovereignly bring them back home. Again, act of mercy and love. Why? Because it's all working toward the great culmination of what will take place at the cross. Every covenant is driving toward the final covenant of the cross. What is the final covenant? God within us, Emmanuel. God with us and his spirit in us. This covenant was fulfilled two times in history. That's important to know. The Babylonian captivity of 46 BC and the return of these captives under Cyrus the Great to Jerusalem starting 70 years after the Babylonian uh, destruction of Jerusalem. It happened again. Uh, during the time of the, the, the late Maccabean revolt in 70 AD, the second uprising of the Jews under the Roman occupation. In 70 AD, the Romans said, we've had enough. Get rid of these people. They destroyed the temple, destroyed Jerusalem. Um, and then in 1948, under the prime minister of Israel, David Ben-Gurion, the nation of Israel was once again formed. Huge uh, historic event. That 1948 restoration fulfilled the Palestinian covenant that God gave to them back in the Mosaic covenant. Okay? So that's number five. Number six, the Davidic covenant. While under the Mosaic covenant, God gave an unconditional covenant to King David found in 2 Samuel 7, 8. It was the promise unconditionally to bless David's family line with a never-ending kingdom. Who's the never-ending kingdom? Where was it fulfilled, guys? Right? The bloodline of David was where Jesus Christ came through. Covenant within it has the foreshadowing of the new covenant. Again, why is that important, guys? Because the purpose of the covenant is driving us forward, progressively revealing the great redemptive plan, the great reconciliation, offering at the cross. Within the Davidic covenant, he, God promised to David, and he kept his promise, the bloodline of David will always cease to be on the throne. And through Christ, the spiritual bloodline 
through the church maintains that covenant. Now, there are more covenants people talk about, well, the Davidic covenant, the return, uh, and the thousand-year reign. Yes, there's aspects to that, but that's outside the scope of what we're talking about. We're talking about the covenants that, that are happened throughout time that point us toward the seventh and final covenant that we're going to be talking about, the new covenant. Um, we see this fulfilled in Christ in Luke 1.32 and in Mark 10.47. The fulfillment of the Davidic covenant within the Mosaic law is given at this time through Christ. Once again, guys, what's so important? We see a lesser covenant finding its fulfillment in the greatest covenant, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Now, the foreshadowing of the greatest covenant, the foreshadowing of the seventh covenant, which is the new covenant, it's the covenant we are now in. We are not in any of those prior six covenants, guys, is the main thrust of this message, that the Bible has progressive promises given throughout history, all pointing toward the time when Jesus would redeem us. He would be the sacrifice for our sins. He would come and allow the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit would come and enter into us when we accepted that gift of his redemption, paying for the, the, the penalty of our sins. And all throughout the Bible, you see, through all the different covenants, you see, hidden within them, the foreshadowing or the type and shadow of the new covenant of the Lord Jesus Christ found from Genesis straight up through the Gospels, straight right up to the time when the new covenant is initiated at Pentecost, you see the progressive wheels turning throughout man's timeline to fulfill. All the covenants are fulfilled in the great covenant, the new covenant. Now here, here's why this is so important now, because as we understand what covenants we, in, we, in, we are in, we can begin in future studies now to begin looking at what was written, what covenant was it written under, and how to apply the principle of the statement without going under the legalism of the wrong covenant. We're in a covenant now, guys. It's the new covenant. From the age of the church, whether you say the church is ended or not, it doesn't make a difference. We have the Holy Spirit. We are in the age where the Holy Spirit left heaven and dwells inside the believers. That is what the church age is called. Anyone says the church age is left, um, well, I, you know, I'd like to have a little discussion about what their definition of some things, because let's remove that so that doesn't be a stumbling block to anybody. We are in the age, the only age, where the Holy Spirit left heaven to come and dwell inside the believer. That is the culmination of the cross. That is the great redemptive plan. God is now in us. We have access to the Holy of Holies. That's why the Bible is so important to study, because as we change our thinking, we begin to access what is inside of us. We begin to live according to who we are, a spirit man, and not living by the, the deadness of the carnal mind, old thinking, dead thinking, old covenants, covenants that have been fulfilled. Okay, so let's look at this a little bit here. Um, the promise of the new covenant, again, there's so many scriptures. I'm going to give the most obvious ones because I like the most obvious ones. That's another rule in Bible interpretation. You always interpret the obscure scriptures in light of the obvious scriptures, never the other way around. You always interpret the obscure in light of the um, clear, never the other way around. So instead of all the different types and shadows that I can go through, maybe another time we'll do that because they rock. I mean, you know, Jesus mentioned several of them on his earth ministry, just as, as Moses lifted up the serpent. Uh, you have a Leviticus and Numbers, uh, the leper being cleansed. You, see, you actually see the cross in the, the purification of the leper. There's just so many. The ram with, with um, Isaac sacrificing his son. Um, excuse me, uh, Abraham sacrificing Isaac. Uh, but I want to go to the most obvious here. Um, let's go to Ezekiel eleven nineteen. I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and will give them a heart of flesh. 
Ezekiel 36:26. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and will give you a heart of flesh. Now, Jeremiah 31, 33. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel in those days. Again, speaking of a new covenant to come, the new covenant, the born-again covenant, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit covenant. This is the covenant I will make to the house of Israel in those days, declare the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Here's a note, guys. God's law is the law of love. God's law is not the Mosaic law. We've just gone over and said there are six covenants. Every covenant had provisions in them. Every covenant had a form of law in them. We tend to always go to the Mosaic law. It was one of seven covenants, seven major covenants that were given to man. We don't, first of all, we don't go under old covenants, number two, but number one. Number two, we don't pick and choose which dead covenant we want to draw from, from the carnal mind. We're meant to live by the mind of Christ. We were given a new mind. We live under the new covenant. Do you remember why the fourth covenant, the Mosaic covenant, was even given to man? That covenant was not even in God's original intention. Galatians 3.19 says, why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions in the seed to whom the promise referred to has come. Listen to that, guys. Galatians 3 is telling us the Abrahamic covenant, was going to be fulfilled through the new covenant, the seventh covenant. The fourth covenant, the Mosaic covenant, was given to make sure the Abrahamic covenant came to pass because Abraham's descendants became so backslidden, they began to think that they didn't need a redeemer. They began sinning so much, they began losing sight of what holiness is. They began breaking communion with the creator through prayer, through intimacy, through seeking him, that the Mosaic covenant was given so that the Abrahamic covenant could be sure to come to pass. The fullness of the Abrahamic covenant was that all of the earth, all of mankind would be redeemed. That's the greatest aspects of the three covenants that were promised to Abraham in the Abrahamic covenant. Now, I know I said that fast, guys. Please rewind that 10 times if you need to. That is so vital, guys. The Abraham, the Mosaic Covenant, the fourth covenant was only given because the Abrahamic Covenant was beginning to fracture because of man's sin and rebellion. That is so vital. The law of, the God's law that will be placed inside man's heart goes back to the Garden of Eden, guys. It does not go back to the fourth covenant or the third or the second. It goes back to the garden. It's the law of love. This is why Jesus said that all of the law is summed up in the law of love. Jesus said in Romans, well, no, Romans 5, 5, Paul says, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given us. Remember Ezekiel and Jeremiah, God says, I will give them a new heart. Well, what is the new heart? It's the Holy Spirit inside of us that has poured out God's love in it, according to Romans 5.5. Romans 8.13 says, lack no man or owe no man or shortchange no man, paraphrasing there, getting owe no man anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. What, who fulfilled the Mosaic law? No, guys. Guys, the Mosaic law was not a law of love. It was a law of legalism. It was meant to show, to break the pride of Abraham's descendants who began to think that if they did everything right, like the Pharisees, the Pharisees was the dead spirit, the dead, the counterfeits of God's intended creation of the Abrahamic covenant. The Pharisees were the culmination of taking the letter of law to its end. They did everything right, guys. The law of God's God's law is not the law of legalism. It's the law of love that goes back to the creation. The law is his nature. He put his nature in our hearts. He put the Holy Spirit in our hearts. It's the law of love. That's why Jesus went on to say, what I started to say earlier on, that whoever loves his Lord and loves the neighbor has fulfilled the law because all the law and the prophets hinge on this, not just the Mosaic law, all the covenants hinge upon God's love because God's the one who started all the covenants 
which all up the cross. I hope this is. I hope. I hope you guys are getting this. Just awesome. Okay, so the seventh covenant, the new covenant. Finally, this covenant that was hidden and seen and foreshadowed all throughout the entire Bible, from Genesis straight up through Acts most openly spoken about by all the prophets that God would pay for their sins himself. Here's the covenant promise. He would clothe his children with his own righteousness. These are the promises of the covenant. He would restore to them holiness and sanctify them by the blood of his own son. Again, this is a new covenant. No other covenant promised this. Every other covenant promised that the seventh covenant would do these things. Because of this cleansing, salvation would come. Salvation is a byproduct of us being given the righteousness of Christ, guys. It is righteousness that gives us restoration, intimacy, which by definition of what salvation is. What are we saved from? We're saved from blocked communion. Salvation, or to be saved, what are we saved from? We're saved from eternal separation from God. Why are we saved from that? Because the seventh covenant, which no other covenant gave us, was the Holy Spirit and the forever forgiveness of sins. The entire book of Hebrews goes into great detail explaining the fullness of the seventh covenant. The new covenant, no other covenant gave us the Holy Spirit and gave us the nature of Jesus Christ. No other covenant. They all pointed toward this. That's why the scriptures say all the men of faith long to see this. They long to see the days where the, the apostles and the church were upon the earth proclaiming the gospel. That finally, the seventh covenant has come. The Holy Spirit is in us and among us. We have reconciliation. This is why we can commune with him 24-7. We have that ability, guys. We can tap into things we haven't even begun to tap into that are our promises of the new covenant. He would live inside of us, a promise of the new covenant. He would give us his heart and his mind and his thoughts. The new covenant, these were all the promises. These were all redeemed when Jesus died on the cross for us. We just accept it. When we accept it, the scriptures say the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. And we enter into our spirits or made alive or reconciled to the kingdom of heaven, to the indwelling presence of his kingdom, of the Holy Spirit. We're going to finish up here in a second, guys, and we'll pick this up uh, in the next broadcast. Guys, I want you to understand something here. I've said this before. I talk about it a great deal in, in my book, again, the, on, on the blog, we say Christ gave us salvation, but what he really gave us is often not explained or understood at all. We would ask a lot of Christians, understand the legal, what legally took place in the covenant. We would talk about sin, the forgiveness of sins. But to understand it from a kingdom mindset, we need to understand there are courts in heaven. There is legality. There are spiritual unbending laws. God does not change his mind because we cry or pray or, or we access what is ours when we pray. We'll get into that another time. But there is no legal way around the day Jesus had to die for us. That was the whole, the whole issue Jesus had to work out in the garden. There was no other legal way in the courts of heaven for that to take place other than his sacrifice. It's what made us holy, blameless, beyond condemnation. Salvation or being saved from being eternally separated from him is the result of what we were given in the new covenant. The new covenant gave us his nature. It clothed us. It forever separated us from the sins we commit, have committed, or ever will commit. That's the new covenant. The Holy Spirit lives in us. Uh, Anyway, we see the fulfillment of, 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 of one covenant with the institution of the greatest covenant. They all point to that. If you look up Hebrews 8, 7, 
chapter 10, I just read the whole book of Hebrews. Uh, it just it goes into great detail on this. Um, we are now living under the seventh major covenant, the new covenant, the covenant of reconciliation. No other time his second coming, uh, the new millennium, um, the, our new glorified bodies, uh, the tribulation, the rapture, none of that changes the covenant that was given to us in the seventh covenant. None of it will change the fact that right now we have the Holy Spirit inside of us and forever clothed in his nature and seen the same way the Father sees the Son, through the holiness of his Son. That is the culmination of the great redemption, the love story. Now, there's more to come. But everything that's to come, guys, must be seen in light of what the purpose of all this was. It's a rescue plan. Those that haven't received him, we have been commissioned, the church was commissioned with the institution of the new covenant on the day of Pentecost to go get his lost sheep. And if you don't love your sheep, you don't know how much you're loved by God. It's that simple. He who loves little feels loved little. It's that simple. He who feels they've been forgiven little tends to forgive others little. It's not about how unworthy we feel. That doesn't that, that, that mean nothing, guys. Feeling unworthy is, is, is so contrary to how God wants us to be meditating and spending our time in communion with him. How would you like it if every time one of your children or one of your friends came to you, they would never look you in the eye? And you'd say, why, hey, can, why don't you ever look at me in the eye? You know, wife, spouse, girlfriend, boyfriend, friend, friend, girl, whatever, friend, boy. Uh, you know, or st- stranger, <laughs> stranger. How many would like to talk to a stranger? And when you ask them, is something wrong? Well, no, I just I don't feel worthy to to look at you. I don't want to look at you. And yet, that's the we somehow think that's pleasing to our Creator, who happens to be our Dad, who designed all of this to redeem us. He loved us so much. His Son went through the torture of the cross so much so that we wouldn't feel worthy looking in the eye. And we think that pleases his heart? Give me a break, guys. You've been sold a bill of goods that are a bunch of lies. Everything we talk about has a balance. I am not talking about sinning, guys. We don't go to extremes when we hear a biblical principle. Every principle will have a false doctrine attached to it that Satan will try to get us to go out and off and get off track. Every, every doctrine has a false doctrine. This is not talking about sinning. This is talking about how much your father loves you, how he initiated the rescue on our behalf, and how his intention is for us, the church, to go get those that haven't yet partaken and entered into the seventh covenant, the redemption. Anyway. Every single, not to be overly redundant, every single covenant, guys, pointed toward the new covenant. The new covenant was given finally of all of man's time frame 2,000 years ago. That covenant is an eternal covenant given to man while we're on this earth to receive redemption. The church's job, which by and large we have outright rejected, is to fulfill the commission to present that covenant to the lost who he wants redeemed. He died for the lost, guys. He did not die for the righteous. There are no righteous. It was the shed blood of Jesus Christ that has given us his righteousness. And um, boy, I really don't want to go off on a tangent, so I won't. But I will say that in this day and age where we're we talked about this, guys. One of the byproducts of that, there's been such a, a movement against the abuses of carnal-minded um, operations of, of church structure, uh, carnal, uh, demonic, uh, hurt, hurtful forms of, of religion in the name of born-again Christianity. We have, we have rebelled against that, rightfully so. We have stepped back and said, this isn't of the kingdom. I don't want this. And what we've done is we've stepped back away. We've thrown out all structure. As structure. There's a structure in heaven. God's kingdom is an organized kingdom. There is structure. If you read the Bible, you will see courts. 
you will see proceedings, you will see legalities, covenants, just his covenants initiated is legalities. Look at the Abrahamic covenant that he gave to Abraham and what took place there and the parting of the animals, the cutting of the birds. Uh, Every covenant, there's, there's laws, there are principles that are unbending. God's kingdom is not a kingdom of chaos. The entire universe is held together by the laws of God's nature. It's, it's precisely fine-tuned, and in it is all peace and glory and love and rest and redemption and joy and the fullness of his love. He's a good God. He's a loving God. Kingdom of heaven that is on earth by the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not talking about dominion now theology. Again, please, guys, you guys by now should know me. If you're listening the first time, I'll repeat it. Every doctrine has a false doctrine. When I'm talking about the kingdom now, the Holy Spirit's inside of us. Right? The Holy Spirit is in us. We are called to do what we see our Father in heaven doing. Many of us don't know what that looks like simply because we haven't been taught how to develop that. But it's, it's, Jesus is the perfect earthwalk illustration of the church. And we've abused it. We've abused the, 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 the five, what is commonly referred to as the fivefold ministries. All of us are called to ministry. All of us are called to serve one another. And all of us are called to the Great Commission. When we came out of that, we've thrown out all structure and organization. As a result, anyone who wants to speak anything feels they don't need to be accountable to anyone. There is a biblical accountability, guys. There's a proper accountability. The apostles held themselves accountable to God and through the witness that one another bore to one another. There is a godly accountability that is not abusive. It's a servant's accountability. It's a wonderful, beautiful accountability. It's safety. There's the wisdom in the multitude of counsel. There's texture in that. There's discipleship. There's counseling. There's, there's grooming. The scriptures talk about that, that we're meant to raise that up. Well, how do discipleship is a form of accountability and grooming? It's not a bad word. The abuse of it is, is what made it, um, would strayed away from the intention of the Holy Spirit. When it says that you have no need that any man teach you, It's because the way we're taught now is by the leading of the Holy Spirit. When I'm counseling or discipling someone, guys, I'm not counseling by the carnal-minded man. I'm counseling by the Holy Spirit speaking to me as spirit man. I understand the things through word of knowledge, through, through application of the word, which is word of wisdom, through prophetic insight, through sensitivity, through the gifts of the Spirit, through the fruits of the Spirit. Guys, that's the Holy Spirit. So it says you have need that no man teaches you. It's because it's not man that teaches and instructs and, 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 instructs and disciples one another. It's the Holy Spirit in us. It's part of the blessing that Jesus was talking about of the new covenant. Again, understanding what's going on in the Bible, what covenant we're in, understanding the Bible as, as the bedrock, the foundation, makes these scriptures be placed in proper context. We're meant to sit with someone else. We're meant to allow ourselves to be influenced by people that we can trust. And admittedly, there's not a whole heck of a lot that may be out there, but there are. Even if there are, guys. And um, church fellowship is a blessing, and it's meant to encourage and teach and instruct. And the job of those that, that, that are more spiritually mature is to raise up the younger generation spiritually into maturity of Christ so they can repeat the process. And I'll say this for the sake of of those that are tuning in uh, new. Our self-worth is not based upon our spiritual maturity, our gifts, our callings, or any of that. That's nonsense. That's the carnal mind. That's a demonic mindset, guys. I go into great detail uh, on my blog about that. Uh, and on these past teachings, our identity is that we are made the righteous of Christ, which means we have no business seeking or getting worth from anything we do or don't do, or the approval or rejection of man means nothing to us. Apostle Paul says, I'm not here to please man. I'm not trying to win the approval of man. I already have all the approval of God. So I'm here to fulfill what I'm meant to do with the righteousness of Christ. Um, how did I get off on that? I don't know. Okay. In summarizing, okay, so 
so how do we study the Bible? Two components we talked about is understanding what the Bible is. It's our, this is our bedrock, guys. The Bible is a love story. It's a story of redemption. The second is understanding the covenant. The covenants must always point back toward our bedrock, that God is love. The covenants are meant to reveal the love story of him redeeming his creation that rebelled and lost communion in the garden. Everything throughout the Bible points us, every covenant initiated by God, going back to understanding the covenants, points toward the great reconciliation of the Lord Jesus Christ as our eternal atonement for sins. The key to understanding the Bible is understanding it's a love story. It's returning us to intimacy. The second is understanding all the different covenants, guys, were given by God to man to help us understand and see how the Bible was moving along to fulfill what was on our heavenly dad's heart. What's on his heart, what was and still is, until the heavens and earth pass away and he wipes every tear away from every eye. And I'm convinced the last tear will be his. That's what's on the father's heart. And so um, I'm going to end that part one here. Recommended readings. I rarely do this, but uh, I'm going to be from time to time with as much tact as I can recommending some readings. I have a couple of books. Guys, if God can use a, uh, a donkey, if God can use a donkey to speak to a false prophet, to give that false prophet the story of Balaam and his donkey, if God can do that, Balaam, anyone for any purpose and he does and he will and it's all throughout history Pharaoh Cyrus Balaam and the list goes on and on okay these men are wonderful men there's not wonderful books there's not a whole lot you have to sift through if there is I'll always give you that warning Um, these are fantastic books one is called The Divine Romance by Gene Edwards Next is Miracle of the Scarlet Thread by Richard Booker. Talk about how Genesis to Revelation, uh, the redemption plan woven through every book. Unbelievable book. The next is the Jesus Storybook Bible. Um, Every Story Whispers His Name, written written by Sally Lloyd-Jones. I would highly recommend you get the book and the DVD. Um, The book and the DVD, guys, you'll have it forever. uh, These are people that were called to give back to the body of Christ some of these lost truths of what the Bible is and who our dad is. And the fourth is The Mind of Christ by David Murray. There's a free PDF on the website. Um, So am I plugging my book? No. I'm plugging the scriptures and the teachings that are in it. It's free. It's on the website. If any of this, uh, you know, hits upon your spirit, just dive in, guys, and, and at least dive into those first three, The Divine Romance, Miracle, The Scarlet Thread, and Jesus, The Storybook Bible. Get the book and, and the DVD, the, you know, the, the, um, the DVD. Just amazing. They will, they, if you're brave enough to allow our minds to be renewed into God's truth, if we're brave enough to reject the lies and the hurt and the pain, and for some of us, guys, that's hard. Some of us have been really fractured been abused we've been abused and hurt and wounded it's a time to heal in the body of christ guys it's a time to return to sound doctrine which is meant to propel us to great intimacy with the word of god god guarding us from the excessiveness and the nonsense that that's out in this generation so that's it so much for a half hour right at the hour mark oh well we'll keep trying um dorothy anything to add on uh, your end no, I think that was an excellent lesson. It, it, it keeps saying you've got to rightly divide the Word of God, and and that was a good foundation on part of that study. You know, you've got to rightly divide it, the covenants, the people, you know, that he's speaking to, at what point in time, under what covenant, and then view everything through the filter of the new covenant, which is the one we're in. So yeah. that was Amen. very yeah. good. Yeah. And oh, thanks, I would love yeah, to I, hear I, back. I'm sorry? I, I would love to hear back from people uh, listening. I know nobody listens live anymore, so it's Memorex. But um, 
I would love to hear back if people need any point expounded on or if they're understanding the teaching. I'd just love to hear yeah. back from people. Uh, yeah. Um, yes, our listener base is... is um, it's it's I will I will get back to everybody. Um and if anyone reaches out to you, Dorothy or myself, you have my word, I will uh, I will get back to you. If it takes a little bit of time, be patient. I will uh, for as long as I possibly can get back to each and every person in the body of Christ. Um it's always been my heart's desire and it's always can a continual frustration of mine of sometimes how uh, fractured the body is in terms of being able to have access to one another and I want to I'm doing everything I can to to make myself accessible as a servant um, as someone who who is is bringing forth some of the word of God um, in this season so um, please reach out so yes Dorothy thank you for, for mentioning that and uh, well, guys, we're going to talk more about this. We're going to be getting more into how, how to divide the word, not for the sake of being theologians, to stay with theologians, but because it drives us into greater intimacy. It clears up the cobwebs. Remember, the parable of the seeds, a lot of people call it the parable of the sower. It has nothing to do really with the sower. It's the seeds. Anyway, the parable of the seeds um, discusses the, the way that the word of God is robbed is lack of understanding. That's one of the three ways that the word of God was robbed in that, in that parable that Jesus gave. Lack of understanding robs the word and makes it unfruitful. And so teaching clears away the deception. It separates, it rightly divides the word of God, which means there's a wrong way to divide the word of God. And there's a lot of that going around. And, and, and it's because there's just, there's no biblical accountability um, today. There really isn't. There's, there's every form of social media and platform anyone could teach anywhere, and uh, there's a lot of chaos. God is restoring um, elders. Again, now I'm not talking about title. People go around saying, I'm elder so-and-so. My goodness. We, uh, we just really all need to grasp our identities in Christ. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, God is going to be raising up and has been preparing people who will come forth to give the milk and the meat of the word. And it is not dry, guys. It is rich and full of intimacy. It will bring peace. It will bring clarity to your spirits. It will bring healing to your souls. It will bring healing and restoration to your body and the body of Christ for those who, who want to enter into um, the fullness of God. Remember, he's returning for a spotless bride. Guys, he's not returning back to a bride that's fractured and broken, easily offended, and very, 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 very angry. We have a lot of people speaking a lot of angry things with very, very incomplete uh, words. I'm not even going to use the word prophetic. Um, Just words, claiming to speak about God on things that there's no redemption, there's no heart of God in it. It's just... uh, just a lot of confusion and anger. And God is going to begin bringing forth to the body of Christ shepherds that will shepherd after the heart of God. Um, so keep your ear out for those guys. And uh, we're going to be discussing more about this, rightly dividing the word, sift through the nonsense, have lots of fun, reach out with questions. I will get back to you. And, um, and love you guys praying for all of you and praying for the body of Christ more than any guys would have any idea. And more above all things, guys, know that your heavenly dad loves you so much. And as much as he loves you, he loves his lost children. Go out and get them, guys. Don't be afraid of failing. It doesn't make a difference. You're the righteousness of Christ. Go out and share a little bit of the goodness of God, even if it's just buying someone coffee. Tell them God loves you. You can only give what we possess. So we got to start somewhere. Uh, so anyway, Dorothy, I will hook up with you in a couple of weeks. I'm sure I'll speak to you during the week. And uh, we'll meet back here, guys, for the next part in um, studying the Word. We're going to get into some, some great, you know, famous, often quoted scriptures that are quoted wrong and out of context and, and all that stuff that cause a lot of confusion and a lot of turmoil. And we're going to learn how to rightly divide the Word how to understand what the Word is saying. We're going to talk about context. We're going to talk about how we can take the Word of God and apply the principle of a Word that was given during different covenants because the nature of God never changes. The covenants change, guys. His nature never changes. Maybe we'll pick up with that next week. Okay, 
You guys have a great night. For the Northeast, we survived a, a fantastic snowstorm. Woohoo! Got to try out my new snow goggles. It was awesome. And I will catch up with you guys soon. Dorothy, God bless always. Thank you for this platform. And um, I'll talk to you real soon. Father bless, David. Good night. And we're supposed to get more snow tomorrow. So. Woohoo! Rock on. I love winter. <laughs> Good night, Dorothy. <laughs> Good night. This has been Zeal Fear House. I'm David Murray, and I'm joined with Dorothy Carruthers. We were hoped that you were blessed by this week's broadcast. Again, if this was your first time, please stop by my website, at www.dwmurray.com. That's D-W-M-U-R-R-Y.com for additional teachings and insights. God bless you, and until next time, please dare to accept the fact that your heavenly dad loves you deeply. Mm-hmm.